Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your Week in IndyCar listener Q&A show. Recording this on a Monday evening. Sun is still up here in Northern California. There is rain on the window. Been pretty wild the last couple of days, which you may have read about or seen on the good old television or whatever, with weather going wild out here. It's like most of it has moved on, moved south to Southern California. So, oh boy, not a whole lot of fun there. Spoke to our friend Brian Herta earlier today and said, wasn't quite swimming yet, but he was having to think about it at least based down there. Got to say a big thanks to y'all for the great questions you have sent in. We're going to open the show here in a moment with a little bit of a wider scale conversation uh, talking about Indy 500 charter system, guaranteed entries, a little bit of a nothing burger of a topic, but uh, we'll get into that here shortly. Big thanks to our friend Jerry Siddeth for putting together the questions each week. And also, time to say a big thank you to our show partners on the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, starting with FAF Technologies, build-to-print composites manufacturing company. They're specializing in medium to large-scale automotive, motorsports, and military applications. Visit faftechnologies.com. It's P-F-A-F-F technologies.com to learn more about their services and how they can benefit your business. Next, it's the Justice Brothers makers of premium additives, lubricants, and cleaners, and servicing the automotive and motorsports industries for more than 85 years, with victories in all the biggest North American motor races, including the Indianapolis 500, the 24 Hours of Daytona. The Justice Brothers products are truly race-proven. Learn about their vast history and range of offerings at justicebrothers.com. If you're fond of awesome motor racing collectibles, including FAF Motorsports McLaren gear and goodies, pay a visit to torontomotorsports.com. And finally, we have a new online merchandise home for the podcast, thepruittstore.com. For all the show stickers, models, racing memorabilia I'm trying to sell and put towards our fund to buy a house is now live and rocking, thepruittstore.com. Spent some time over the weekend, get a few more things up and running on the new Pruitt Store website. So for those of you who have been asking did finally get a chance, I think it was last night, to put up the large four by almost nine inch Roger Warwick designed Gilles DeFerrin tribute sticker that has his 2001 Fontana closed course lap record Renard Honda and beneath it his final race car that he owned was deeply involved with that 2009 Acura ARX 02A LMP1 car DeFerrin Motorsports got that big sticker posted and is available. Then also the smaller round four inch ones, the uh, tribute sticker of his helmet done by my friend Andy Blackmore. So again, for those of you who've been asking or wondering when those would be available, had mentioned I would get those posted as soon as I could after getting home from Daytona. And so those are both there for you. Uh, working with Honda, they had actually reached out shortly after Gilles had passed saying, hey, we'd like to come up with some sort of tribute sticker for him. Um, could you help? And so through Roger and through Andy, came up with two options. And uh, so so really thankful for them. And also Honda knowing that they're wanting folks to be able to uh, take them home and 
Honor Gilles as well. Um, gave the blessing for that. So made some extra, which are available here. And because we're often trying to do things here through the store that benefit some form of charity, American Honda was kind enough to share that the Pediatric Brain Tumor Foundation is one that they're really, really fond of and have been made a lot of donations to over the years. So once we get more sales rolling, we'll be making donations to them as well. So again, if you're interested, I know many of you have asked, so those are now available if you would like to take one home uh, being at thepruittstore.com. So why don't we do this? Let's just jump straight into your questions. Let's also tell you that if you want to join the Prude listener group, check out the description for the show has all the instructions on how to do that. The ever growing group of just super loving, fun racing fans who've become a community of their own, of which there are quite a few members. So join them for sure. And we have a number of Prude members who indeed have sent in questions for the show this week. So we're going to jump off here and, you know, why don't we do that? Let's talk about charters, Indy 500, guaranteed starting spots, and all of those things. Should mention, just for a little bit of housekeeping, this is something Roger Penske mentioned having an interest in doing prior to purchasing the series, having some sort of guaranteed entry at the Indianapolis 500 and having purchased the series. Any interview I have done and others have done since late 2019, early 2020 on, speaking about desires, future plans for the series, charter-type routines, Roger has been very consistent in talking about wanting to shift towards something where if you are a IndyCar charter member, whatever you want to call that, uh, I know that IndyCar CEO Mark Miles told me his preference to refer to it as a leader circle membership, uh, whatever you want to call it. If you are indeed locked in and join that or given membership to it, however it would happen, that you would indeed have guaranteed starting spots at the Indy 500. So, I'll admit, I don't fully know why Monday, February 5th, this all of a sudden became a thing because it's been discussed, written about by myself and others ad nauseum for the last four years, however many years. But hey, uh, it's here, so let's talk about it. A couple of our friends here open. We have Amanda Bauer. She says, you know, we all want to talk about guaranteed Indy 500 entries, the good, the bad, the inevitable. Uh, Bloof Kid. B-L-O-O-F-K-I-D. How likely are locked-in Indy 500 spots and how much of the field would it include? Um, And then Ben Cohen, another awesome, awesome listener, says, MP, hope you and your wife, Shabrell, are doing well. What are Cindy Car fans missing regarding the potential for guaranteed spots for the Indy 500 and a new charter-like system for Indy car owners? Why must that be included in a charter system? What would you estimate the monetary value of that guaranteed spot to be? See, I'm hoping to learn more to see both sides to this story. Don't seem to be finding the sense uh, in wanting to dilute the Indy 500. Okay, 
So great questions. Wanted to serve those up as the general space we're going to float around here. Before I do that, though, a lot of this is just like, hey, analysis, insights, you know, pulling stuff out of your backside, whatever. Ah, Do that all the time. Happy to do it. We'll certainly do it here for you now. But I do need to mention the overarching thing. And this is where I kind of come back to the, hey, we've been talking about this for years, and Penske's been pretty clear in wanting to do this, and um, we've always mentioned that's something on the horizon for a charter, so I'm not sure why this is really kicking off on February 5th as a thing. But So my note on that stems from this. The concept of doing a leader circle membership thing charter whatever you want to call it been going for a little while i've written about it others have as well i think the most recent thing that i wrote apologies i'm not remembering the exact timing but at least for the time of doing the interview late november maybe early early december i don't know if that's when the story in the interview i did with mark miles on the subject came out sometimes little sidebar interview someone like mark cover off three four five different topics kind of bank those right especially during the off season you want to burn all those in one day a lot of time to fill so again interview timing would have been late november early december not sure exactly when that story got pushed out but had said not doing the the leader circle right now not happening leader circle membership charter been a thing we've been discussing we're going to continue talking about it but it's no longer something that's really on the table as a timely thing to get done that's worth noting because miles sharing of that information on the record with quotes in that story that went out lined up with my understanding of things that this went from being boy you know we're we're trying to get a little bit of traction here and see where this leader circle concept could go and how long it might take to get there to hit the stop button hit it hard and so again i don't know the exact timing a couple months ago right around this right i don't know if this group interaction between the series and all the team owners happened before i talked with miles or right after but at least for how it was presented to me it was presented in a it ain't happening right about now and we're not totally sure exactly when so it leads me to think the timing of when indycar went to all of its team owners and got their feedback on this charter type thing might have been right before we spoke because there was well there's a little bit of optimism from miles in terms of it's not totally dead as a topic we're going to keep talking about it etc but it's not it's no longer something anyone should consider to be kind of on the front burner that would jive with what i have heard around that time and since which was this concept of a leader circle membership died and died badly a painful and swift death with whatever form it was presented to the owners as being something where however it was pitched to the owners in what the series thought might be a good 
construct for it. I keep hearing that there was some sort of attempted acquiring of money from team owners for it. I don't think that was super well received. It's not something anybody wants to talk about on the record. And I'd be lying if I said I had everything I needed to just publish a story of my own on it. But I have heard enough from multiple sources to feel confident in saying what IndyCar proposed to its team owners as being not the final, final version of what this charter type thing would be, but something pretty close was met with a universal hell no. And as I've had it described to me, it died a very swift death, like within a day. Whatever it was, and with all the contents of what IndyCar was thinking, apparently was massively and heavily rejected to the point of, okay, we thought we had something. Clearly we don't. Um, this is no longer a thing, or at least no longer a thing that's happening anytime soon. Got to go back to the drawing board. So I just wanted to share that because <laughs> I got to paint that picture. Because when I said earlier, just felt like a little bit of a nothing burger to come out of nowhere. As I understand it, this thing died and died a really bad death, swiftly and unequivocally. And so with that said, the, hey, what could it be? And might it have this? It feels like we're not even there. So just to share, for any who might have had a takeaway or a belief today and whatever you read, wherever you read it, uh, the, hey, this is actively being something and it's, you know, kind of percolating and it's on the way and it's, it's not. So if that's not what was said, wherever this is coming from, not a problem. Didn't see it, didn't read it, just sharing. But there's nothing imminent. And as I have heard, grasp, and feel confident in saying, whatever was in that thing that was floated to the IndyCar team owners that was so swiftly and harshly rejected, probably something that would steer us away from believing there's anything like an actionable item about this right now. Or, yeah, I don't know if I want to say anytime soon like it's not like it couldn't come to life for 2025 but just understand the gotta go back to the foundation is the heavy takeaway i've been given by folks who would know now if we take that and kind of park it and say okay so whatever it was that was proposed was like a fart in church <laughs> it didn't go over well got it what might emerge? What might come from it? If we look forward and IndyCar were to, as Amanda's asking and Bloof Kid and Ben Cohen and others, uh, what might it be in the future? I feel way less confident in saying what that might be in finer detail, right? How many cars would it be? Um, who would get in, who would get out and how would this happen? Like some of the things that were floated involved, not like kind of an asset you 
really possess, but there was a temporary aspect to it. There's some sort of time limit placed on it. Like, hey, if you bought an IndyCar charter, like it wouldn't just be yours for as long as you're an IndyCar team owner. Um, there'd be some form of point where you had to pay again to keep it. So more like a ch- charter lease. And I don't know what the dollars were, but a lot. Um, again, uh, something where characterizations to me involved pretty significant concept of team owners handing over a lot of money to IndyCar for a charter and then having to do it again and potentially do it again. If you're going, if you have intentions on continuing to be a team owner, or, you know, maybe you've been one for a long time and you want to keep being one like, so, huh? Okay. Things like, these are just things I've heard, nothing final formalized or whatever, but so the leader circle construct in IndyCar is a thing, right? The top 22 in the entrance championship, the end of each season, offered the opportunity to accept a leader circle contract. Guarantees them about a million dollars or so in prize money. That's something that IndyCar started doing 20-ish years ago, pooling the vast majority of their annual prize money and dividing it among the X amount of full-time entrants. No, for some of the newer listeners might not know all the history and nuance. So just share quickly the old system in the Indy racing league, frankly, most racing series, uh, the halves do most of the winning, right? The big teams are on the podium. Most of the time, those top three positions pay the vast majority of prize money. So, as you might expect, you go to whatever race and the next one, the next one, and barring some strange outcomes, the majority of the prize money each season is going to the same couple of giant teams while the smaller teams who are trying to do better and level up get a really tiny slice of the annual prize money pie. And so Indy Racing League, what we now today call the NTT IndyCar Series said, okay, well, we dedicate these dollars each year from our operating budget to give out for prize money. We're getting a lot of complaints from the smaller team saying, hey, we never get any of it, so how do you expect us to really grow and get much better? Um, System was changed. Basically, a, a socialized prize money system was devised where IndyCar said, okay, there still be some prize money to earn at each race, you know, instead of it paying 300,000 to win at wherever, it'd be 30 grand or something like that, 25, who knows, but we're going to take the vast majority of the annual prize money we'd pay out and divide it evenly. So that way the haves and the have-nots can all say we're getting the same amount. Obviously the haves would still do better at the majority of the races and get the smaller scraps of prize money but the smaller ones wouldn't, but that's the system we've had. And so there's been a real race uh, at times for some of the, the lower teams, smaller teams, those entries not doing great to scrape in and earn a leader circle contract. So with all that known, 
part of the things being floated from the series was, okay, well, what if under this leader circle membership thing, what if a non-leader circle team gets inside the top 22 and knocks out a leader circle membership charter type entry? Well, in that scenario, the one that made their way in would need to buy that charter off of the entry, the team that went out, and things like that where you go, okay, um, if we're talking about like NASCAR, where the vast majority of the entries are charters and there's still a potential for others to qualify at their races, got it. But the actual, hey, you could lose your charter depending on how well you do or don't perform. Again, my understanding is that didn't resonate super well with a lot of folks. It said, if you're telling us we need to pay for something and we get something for it and it's ours to add real commercial value to our entries and therefore our team, something we could sell if we wanted to get out or if we're running however many cars and we wanted to downsize, we could, again, this now, if we just decide to downsize from four cars to three, we just stop running that extra car. That, that doesn't have any value to try and sell to someone else if they want to take that over. So go to this leader circle membership construct and cool, but uh, you're telling me, again, maybe some of my lower performing entries might always be subject to me losing? That like it doesn't sit too well with super millionaires and billionaires who are by and large most of the team owners in IndyCar. So knowing all this, I don't know where it's going to end up (laughs) and I don't know when it's going to end up with something can tell you without a doubt that, uh, there's a general feeling. I wouldn't say all, but I know I've heard from enough to believe there's a general feeling. IndyCar swung and missed badly on this. So it's not exactly like a, yeah, Hey, let's revisit. Like it's a, yeah, if you're going to come back to this, you better come back with something seriously improved. So I don't know when that might happen, but if we're going to cover off the last part of this on the guaranteed Indy 500 slots, I would say of whatever the leader circle ends up being, absolutely expect that to be a part of it. Everything else the the business aspect of it what it costs the teams to acquire a leader circle membership contract uh the timing of it how long they possess that or don't go through all a million different things that the business structure of this might be when if if (laughs) if indycar comes up with a plan that its team owners agree to. That too has been a massive question in light of what happened a couple of months ago. So again, I'm just trying to drive on the fact of like, ah, this is, you know, the worst thing possible of adding guaranteed entries. And like, seriously, 
they got to revive the patient first on the topic of charters before we even get there. That wasn't the case prior to two-ish months ago or whatever it was. It was going to happen. No question we're going to get there. I no longer feel that same level of confidence. But regardless, here's the thing you should know. Roger Penske, who owns IndyCar, owns the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, has wanted this for longer than he has owned the series. Uh, it's what, 2024. I can think back to interviews with Roger in 2014 of him saying, you know, if you commit to a full season and you make an investment, then, you know, we shouldn't be the ones who are potentially not qualifying for the Indy 500. The ones who aren't here for the full time, those are the ones who that's, something for them not us paraphrasing again but roger has been pretty serious for a long time about if you make a full season commitment you're in some sort of business contract with the series that should include guaranteed participation in the indy 500 with your full-time entries it's just another little sticking point okay so a lot of the teams run extra cars for the indy 500 so in the leader circle uh, membership, would that also include a guaranteed entry for your extra car, right? Some teams might want to run two. I bet more would. Some teams would want to run three or five extra cars if they could, if they knew they were guaranteed to be in the show. Because you sure can sell that if you're a big and strong team with a really good commercial side business side within your company another quote sticking point of like okay so well if you take the 27 full-time entries we're going to have this year and you look at this team that runs an extra and that team that runs we're pretty close to filling up the field (laughs) so again sticking points for sure but come back to this what we're talking about is guaranteed money. That's what a guaranteed entry position is in the Indy 500. The person who owns the series wants it and has wanted it for far longer than he's owned the series. More or less everything he wants at a high level is going to happen. Uh, team owners rejecting a lot of the other deal points and concepts and structures and it's like a charter system, but a lease, but I got to pay for it. And it could go like, what? Those things, absolutely up for fixing, torching, you name it. But if you run down the entry list from AJ Foyt at the top to Team Penske at the bottom and said, hey, if you had the opportunity to be locked into the Indy 500 with your entries as part of this membership, Want that? Not want that. Every single person will say yes. There will not be, I mean, I can't imagine there'd be a single detractor. Can't imagine there'd be one person who took a step back instead of a step forward. Because these folks aren't in the business of risk. Realize racing is risky. Fastest 33 is a risk. Couple folks might be going home here in May because we should have 35 to 36 entries. Get all that. But just understand, 
given the opportunity to not have to sweat as to whether the 27 full-timers in a field of 33 are locked in or 22 or however many it is, right? This is something they're always going to say yes. Always going to take that, remove all risk, know that they can sell to their sponsors. Guaranteed. You're in the 8500, our biggest day, our Super Bowl, you are in. They will always say yes. This will absolutely be in the charter system when it's done. And if it doesn't, if that isn't in it, I don't know what I need to promise to eat. Uh, I'm staring at a Justice Brothers teddy bear, uh, Faf Motorsports fake Indy 500 brick, which I think is made out of foam. Uh, I'm looking at a bottle of Justice Brothers engine oil supplement. I probably shouldn't drink that, but like, I don't know what, but I cannot fathom a world where super wealthy folks involved in a business turn down a guarantee of participating in the biggest event where they make the most money from their sponsors and or drivers who pay to be involved. The only question, and again, I mentioned there's 27 full-timers, season-long drivers, 22 currently are given top 22 in entrance, that leader circle contract. Gotta believe, though, there's going to be some baked-in extras, right? There's some of the teams historically that always run an extra or would if they were told that that would be protected as well, right? Look at an Andretti Autosport, you know, that extra car for Marco Andretti. Who knows who that might be in the future? Ed Carpenter Racing, seemingly always there. Errol McLaren, right? We think they'll probably be there pretty much always with an extra car. I mean, that's three right there, so we're up to 25. Would Ganassi get in on running an extra? And we'll see. He's currently at five full-time cars. It's another aspect should share that was floated. A cap. Well, you can only have three cars. If you're a whatever size team, you need to pick and choose how many would be allowed to receive leader circle contracts, leader circle memberships, I should say. Could it be four? Who knows? But again, it's you're asking wealthy veteran team owners to say, okay, so you want me to have certainty with a couple of my entries, but the other ones, no. I get to tell those sponsors or those drivers who pay good money, just like everyone else involved with our racing team, that they're the unfavored ones? Like, no. Like, again, this is so... There's a lot going on here, y'all, which is probably why you haven't seen me go into depth about it because things been characterized as dead on arrival for how it was presented and a we're not going to fix this during this season at least, so we'll circle back at some point in time. But like, whoa, whiplash from the negative response about it. But nonetheless, it's a lot to figure out here. We could easily, among those teams with 22 full-time if that's what it's limited to, who knows? Could that change? Something else that I've heard related to the leader circle membership, that number go up. Uh, again, yeah, there's a lot. But I can tell you this. One thing they're going to have to figure out for sure is what that guaranteed entry maximum number is for the Indy 500. 
because as long as that stays on the table, it's probably the only thing you can get unanimous agreement on. Yes. Uh, if I can tell my sponsors for the next five or 10 or however many years until I got to pay that lease, if that's what it holds on to be in that concept of membership charter stuff that, Hey, uh, you can sign a five year, however many deal with me, you're going to be in the Indy 500 every year. Every single team is going to say yes. All right, let's get into the rest of your questions. And I apologize because it feels like we're deep into yeah, it's a Marshall Pruitt hour territory. Uh, we're going to go to our dearest of dear friends, the all caps, Cassie Johnston, also known as at mama M a M a underscore G force on the good old Twitter slash X. Please follow her. If you don't about the most delightful follow, if you're an IndyCar fan, she says, Hey MP, any word if we'll see alternate tires at the ovals this year. Those debuting last season at Worldwide Technology Raceway, better known as Gateway. She says they were pretty much a non-story at Gateway, so I wouldn't be surprised if we were just going to pretend like it was a fever dream, but I wouldn't mind trying again with some changes. I think we're going to lean towards fever dream, Cassie. I've asked, and I've heard nothing to suggest that we will be doing that again, at least in 2024. So maybe for the future, maybe. But with the mindset that we're going to go hybrid mid-season, um, I'd say two things come to mind. One, to your exact point, it didn't exactly do a whole bunch. Uh, there was a difference, but not really a significant difference. So... With the fact that we're going hybrid mid-season-ish, mid-summer-ish, um, and the fact that this would require additional testing, knowing that cars are a bit heavier, the balance dynamic has changed, uh, with the, the weight distribution front to rear, it's a kind of thing where knowing Firestone, because they are a, an exceptional company, would want to do some specific testing of an alternate tire before it got used on a hybrid spec car at WWTR. I've heard nothing to suggest that has taken place or will take place. So I will seek final, final confirmation, but do not believe we are going to venture down the path of continuing with, uh, alternate tires on ovals at least um this season and i'm making a little note here so i do indeed confirm um this as a factual item uh question mark enter there we go note made thank you Cass. uh lance snyder oh here we go mp bloody hell by the way saw lance snyder at daytona he's just a Nomex suited ball of, of delight. He is the official minister of mirth of my podcast across all shows that we do. Uh, and also one of those amazing volunteer track workers usually found at a corner. Um, could be SCCA events, could be IMSA, could be wherever, but yeah, thank you, Lance Snyder. But I say those positive things before we drag the show down MP bloody hell, no movement on a modern chassis, no movement, opening engine regs to, Tice the third manufacturer. 
Instead, we're going to be going back to guaranteed entries at Indy, which is hated by so many. What's next? Giving teams veto power and new entrants with manifestos to explain why? (laughs) Oh, boy. I don't know who wrote that Formula One 20 bullet point manifesto, but I can tell you, like, we need to know their name because they are incredible, right? And so, yeah, I spent a lot of the last episode talking about all the bad things about that, but I'm just saying, like, that is such a gift. Like, we almost never see those things, those kinds of things. Dirty laundry, aggro, grumpy stuff spelled out so crystal clear by a racing series. So whomever wrote that, I realize that a lot of folks had to sign off on it, but yeah, the author of that, we need to know their name and we need to celebrate them because that was amazing. Cause I'm thinking back to like late eighties, early nineties, formula one governance by Jean, the late Jean Marie Balest for like bombastic idiocy. Um, yeah, again, nothing new. We're always headed towards guaranteed entries once Roger bought the series. But again, um, yeah. Uh, as for the other stuff, yeah, I mean, we're, we are in a full Juan Montoya. It is what it is point in time with IndyCar. Going to keep this crazy short, 30 seconds or less, I promise, because I've said it so many times and written it so many times in recent months indycar has no fixed plan for its immediate future other than going hybrid we know that it's looking at some new events to go to which is great none of those things that i'm aware of are locked in and finished all the things you mentioned about it whether it's a new chassis whether it's changing engine regs or whatever it is to entice a third manufacturer all the big things that some of us would like to see fixed, many of us would like to see fixed, there's nothing there yet. Not saying it'll ever be there, but it's not there now. There's one related item to this. I'm not ready to share it or get into it because I need to do some more calling around. And this is moving on to a different topic, so I think I met my 30-second limit or so. Probably not. Um, I need to do some additional research and talking because there's one element or aspect of this progress what's indycar going to do to become more popular more relevant newer fresher all those kinds of things and i've heard it could be happening um something that might steer indycar towards that stuff that we hope they'd would have done a couple years ago and would be doing right now so it's a little bit of a watch this space lance but everything you mentioned is correct um we know these things we have known these things it's just a stronger spotlight has been put on the inaction and lack of decision making um we know that indycar has been a truly amazing thing in the past We know that what they do right now with the racing they put on is phenomenally good. We love it. We love the teams, drivers. We're rooting for the series to do better and be more than what it is. Um, I'll keep digging and trying to come up with a little more insight on the thing I can't really mention right now. And if I can find more 
to it, my my spidey sense would be tingling that some not just better days are ahead, but they might happen sooner than expected. Uh, let's go to Ken Anderson. How you doing, Ken? Thanks for being a really positive person, by the way. Say, uh, no question this week. Just wanted to give a big shout out to John Reinbold and Don Cusick and Cusick Motorsports for coming together to create an awesome team. Says, I'll miss Steph Wilson, but he will be back. Kind of you to, uh, to throw this in here, Ken. And yeah, um, I really like Don Cusick and I really like Dennis Reinbold. And I hope they find a fantastic working relationship that has some permanence beyond the Indy 500 because they're sweethearts. They're the minnows by comparison to the Giants to root for. And boy, if we could see Dryan Reinbold back more than just the Indy 500, Don Cusick and Cusick involved great partners and business capabilities he has to uh, help facilitate some of that. And we could get Steph Wilson back at least to do one more Indy 500. Um, that'd be the best of many, many worlds. Uh, John Wirtz, you say, Marshall, any chance DRR and Cusick would consider naming their combined effort Team American Spirit for the Indy 500? Um, I mean, you'd have to ask him. I think Dennis kind of likes having his name in the team name and so does Don, and they kind of put the money out there uh, to make the team happen. So uh, I don't know if they'd randomly name it after Stefan Johansson's former sports car and uh, champ car team. Um, but, yeah, uh, possible. Um, Darren Dubois, MP, am I the only one surprised that Cusick Motorsports is continuing with John Reinbold and Steph Wilson is not in the program? no. No, you're not. Um, something like that had been in the works for a while. Um, this is the thing that's in the best interest of Dawn. And here's the, you know, the, the hard part to acknowledge is this. As a duo, Cusick Motorsports and Stefan Wilson they struggled to find a team to say yes to fielding an entry for them. It talks with multiple teams, but ultimately none of them said yes on the timeline that they wanted. I don't think the timeline was anything bad or overly aggressive or anything like that, but knowing that you want to get things concluded around this time, uh, and no later, there's still at least one seat available. Um, AJ Foyt racing, unless that's been signed as well, but that's really been about the most prized Indy 500 seat. There is not something that went forward with Steph and Don together. I know with how last year went down. Steph not being able to race for them. Graham Rahal stepping in and doing his best. They obviously had some issues. I know there was a ton of sympathy, obviously, for what happened to Steph. I don't know if on the Reinbold side there was a, and I must do everything possible to put him back in a car again. 
think it was more a case of like I know who I want in the cars. And that's Ryan Hunter Ray returning. And since he doesn't have a seat, Connor Daly. And I think that was something on the Reinbold side they were fairly well locked into for a while. Um, I heard about Connor being like signed, signed like almost two months ago. So that's a long time ago. <laughs> and I think Hunter Ray in around the same time, or at least the intent for him to be back. So I think both doors were closed to that return of Steph and Don together quite some time ago. Um, I'm just talking things I've heard. I heard the asking price at Able Motorsports was like eye-watering. Um, where else do you go from there in terms of what's available? Uh, have heard Takuma Sato. Again, I think I've mentioned these things, written these things for a little while. Uh, returning to Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan. Not saying that's final or done, but again, if that were to happen, I don't think any of us would be surprised. Pretty much leaves Foyt and Foyt with their Team Penske connection and how freaking strong they were last year at the Indy 500, that is the one that seemingly everybody wants, that third seat there. And I couldn't tell you if it's a dollar thing, like the asking price is really high. If so, it should be (laughs) based on the team's performances last year. But just take all those things and... As a combination, there were no ways in in a timely manner or a manner that made financial sense. And so I think what we ended up with here, Darren, to close is got to keep in mind that Stefan is the driver we know and love, the one who gets to live their dreams behind the wheel Don didn't come into this strictly to deliver Stefan's dreams without his own personal desires, ambitions, love for IndyCar, etc. So in the absence of being able to find a way back to draw in Reinbold for Steph and really any other teams, what you have here is Don, who loves the Indy 500 just as much, saying, well okay, I still want to be involved and I'm going to do that with Dennis again. And I know that Don enjoyed working with him last year. And while here, hoping things can develop and build towards the future and create a path to run an extra car next year for Steph told me he'd be even willing to buy a chassis if that's what it took. So Again, is that a guarantee? No. Uh, But I feel for Steph greatly. I would hate for his IndyCar career to be over. He needs to do one more Indy 500 uh, to feel like that chapter has been closed properly. Uh, Watching the Indy 500 with a back brace on the sidelines, not how you'd want any driver's career to end. So want that for him like you wouldn't believe 
spoken at length with Don about this. I do understand as he saw it, this is the best way to continue. Also continues achieving his love for the Indy 500. And hopefully he can open a door for Steph to come in next year. Got to appreciate someone like that, I'd say. Uh, Adam Kapiski, MP, best of the Prude family. Uh, as the glorious new IndyCar season approaches, what can you share and how one Stefan Wilson is doing as he turned any laps to get back in the cockpit at the Brickyard? Um, hasn't been in an IndyCar. I think I did a story, I don't know, mid-December maybe, where he's basically back, good to go. He's done some track day stuff, GT, Ferrari, I think, and, and others. So, yeah, he is capable and willing and ready. Um what I haven't asked and probably should is whether he and his wife, Katie based in Colorado, if, uh, they will decide to camp out in Indianapolis for the month of May in the off chance that, uh, for whatever reason, a team needs a veteran like him to step into the car, uh, for whatever purpose. So, but yes, uh, he is back. He's good super happy um <laughs> uh, jordan darwin uh <laughs> mr beaumont uh does the rejection of the andretti f1 bid strain the andretti global and Meyershank racing indycar collaboration given the common link of liberty media um continued prayers for the entire household thank you jordan um i don't think so uh, Marshank racing 30 percent ownership stake by liberty media um technical alliance between the two teams i have heard nothing to suggest that there's some new anger aimed at meyer jim meyer mike shank because of this from michael andretti um so no not that i'm aware of there's one other aspect to this not exactly related to the question but um i gotta make a note to uh this is a note-taking episode i would say um got to make a note here something else to follow up on um there we go sorry the sound of typing uh i'll circle back to that when i can it'll probably be in the form of a story but bottom line not that i know of nor should there be um jose hernandez asks mp second submission on a uh hair on a general question Say, how to up and coming, as well as, say, out-of-contract drivers manage to get into race paddocks? Do they pay their own way for each race? They get some sort of professional courtesy, free or discounted passes? All depends, Javi, on, on what we have in terms of relationship between a team and driver. So some might have to pay for their own hard card right if they're truly unaffiliated with any teams if it's a driver who's recently driven for a team or has some sort of other professional links with them whether it's i don't know driver coaching or sim driving or whatever wouldn't be uncommon for that team to put them on their credential list for an event um but yeah the i mean i've even seen Way back in the day, drivers like Mamo Gidley, you know, whether it's having to buy a paddock pass or otherwise, uh, to get in, get seen. Uh, but yeah, these days, 
it's usually not crazy hard, right? Uh, if it's a recent driver or someone who's known within the series, who's just trying to be there and, and whatnot, um, wouldn't be a surprise for the series to make it very easy, right? Drop someone that, you know, the series a note saying, Hey, could you? And they usually do. Um, if it was 10 years ago when you last drove and you're wanting to go fishing, probably not. Um, Jonas Magnuson, you say any news regarding any of the legal cases, uh, McLaren versus Polo, Groschon versus Andretti, Peterson versus Foyt, anything been settled? Are they still ongoing? Funnily enough, before you sent this in, um, I was thinking about that today. So I need to follow up on some of these things. Uh, the McLaren, I can tell you for sure. It's not going anywhere. Um, that will be taken to the point of finality because I've been told so. McLaren has no interest in shortening that process, taking uh, some sort of payout or, you know, to settle or any of that. That is extracting maximum financial pain. So that I can give you an update on. Uh, the other two, the Groschon versus Andretti, I don't know. Just need to ask. And the Peterson versus Foyt, um, now that I'm kind of sort of back in IndyCar mode, primarily after Daytona, it's another item I need to follow up on. So apologies. You might need to send this one back in in a couple of weeks, brother. Uh, but I answered one out of the three, so I guess by grade... I got an F. Um, John Wire, MP. Can you explain the difference between a technical and strategic alliance? What are the costs and benefits or disadvantages for the teams involved? I uh, say thanks and hope to see you maybe at Detroit. Me too. Uh, again, this is one of those how long is a piece of string questions, John, where there's no single answer because it all depends on what teams decide to do and what's best for them. Um, I've heard technical alliance between Meyershank Racing and Andretti might be million to a million and a half per year per car. Could be wrong. It's not something they've ever spoken about publicly. Uh, but yeah, I've heard that, you know, that certainly is, is not inexpensive. So we have a couple examples here. We have the Meyershank Andretti Technologies one that I just mentioned. Andretti Technologies provides dampers, race engineers, setup information in general, uh, MSR drivers and Andretti drivers are all together in debriefs, and it's just a collective engineering effort. MSR pays for that opportunity, and that's what that is. We have the other one, which is between Team Penske and AJ Foyt Racing. I'm not aware of any real money transferring from Foyt to Penske. If there is, and I'm not saying there isn't, but if there is, I'm not aware of it being much of a thing. Um, as I have understood the benefit to Penske here, it's not only to help the Foyt team of which Roger has an old and, and very respectful and caring relationship with Foyt. Foyt team's been down in the dumps for a while, have needed technical support. Um, this has been very much, as I understand it, in terms of giving back 
one where it extends the the feedback loop beyond Penske's three cars to both from Foyt. There's also a lot of engineering knowledge within some of the folks at the Foyt team, in particular technical director Michael Cannon, championship-winning race engineer, what, two Indy 500 pole positions with Scott Dixon. Um, this is just modern era, lots of wins before that part of uh players forsyth racing's championship with uh paul tracy i think in 2003 and so i think if you look at where penske benefits here not uh viewing it as a big financial contributor if at all to the team um would say this is just more of a okay this this is deepening our engineering knowledge base an example of how that might happen beyond institutional knowledge that a canon or otherwise would share back to Penske would be a, okay, we have a limited number of test days, private test days per season. Uh, we as Team Penske are going to go to this track and test there. And we feel that what we learned there will be a big benefit to us at that track and at some others like it. We're going to have you, AJ Foyt Racing, go to this track or that track and use the same, basically, our technology, our dampers, setups, you name it. And you are going to obviously learn for yourselves, but we are also going to benefit from that because we effectively have extended the amount of test days available to us and we'll be gathering great, great knowledge, hopefully, at those tracks you go test at that we agree upon together you're going to go to and that comes back to benefit us last one here is the strategic alliance to my knowledge there's only one right now that being errol mclaren with hunkos hollinger racing on one of their entries i don't know if it's more than one i believe it's just one and that's a case of that errol mclaren team having too many sponsors to give them adequate love and space on their three full-time cars. So I've worked with Hunkos Hollinger Racing to place them, what I believe is going to be Romain Groschon's entry. High-profile driver, good sponsors, should get them effectively the running of a fourth car without having to run a fourth car. Now, it's been presented as a strategic alliance. Business, you can just call it a business alliance at its core. Have I also heard there might be a little bit of technical stuff in there too? Maybe. Not something so far they've wanted to put a lot of info on, but I've heard that it might include a little bit of that as well. So whatever it fully is, I know the, the strategic alliance in the single example of it in IndyCar slightly shrouded in mystery as to what all it contains and that mystery is not by mistake. The technical side, I think that's a little more straightforward, John. Um, let me see how many questions do we have. All right, uh, we've we're yeah we're at the hour. Uh, <laughs> let's see where do we go here. Chris Kalewick, MP, been racking my brain for months trying to figure out what does F1 have that IndyCar doesn't. Uh, oh boy, yeah. Um, 
See, I think it's the drama and the intrigue. On any sports site, there are countless stories about drama between drivers, team principals, within teammates, etc. That's why Drive to Survive is so popular. You see IndyCar fostering or promoting their drama to bring in new fans. Say the dust-up between Dixon and an award seemed like a missed opportunity, for example. No, it's not IndyCar's sensibility uh, to do that. IndyCar, very much a buttoned-up, everything has to be super classy and professional approach to everything as you would expect from its current owner um f1 again they're all about that class and everything else too but uh a lot more drama and it's just been amplified to their great benefit if you think about who owns formula one it's a media company they get it. If you think about who owns IndyCar, not a media company. Don't get it. I'm not saying there's tons of drama between IndyCar drivers. Like, there's not. There's, if anything, it's a pretty friendly group. Uh, Scott McLaughlin, he is not a fan of David Malukas after their dust up or perceived slight uh, by Malukas on track and some of the contact there at Gateway. But, I mean, there are, <laughs> if producers were to ask me, and I'm sure a couple of other reporters, like where to go to find some of that drama, it's there. Um, I don't know if there's a ton. Therefore, I don't think it would be super sustainable as a thing. But there is some there if you were looking to manifest, develop, and promote that. There is some to be had. Uh, on the team owner level, we know Chip Ganassi and Zach Brown are best friends, uh, so there's probably always going to be something there. Going back to some of the questions about lawsuits, that's something uh, F1 certainly doesn't have nearly as much as IndyCar. There's a lot, but keep in mind, F1 being as big as it is and as rich as it is, as popular and shiny as it is has an overarching feeling and sensibility high class number one globally everything else is just kind of second or third tier fun and nonsense i don't know if indycar has that same reputation of having everything all buttoned up and good and p1 and just beloved and great and people can't get enough of it and so a little bit of spicy team owner driver stuff like we see in f1 would just kind of be additive i think it might be perceived as putting more logs on the fire so yeah um you have ably picked this one apart chris for sure uh jaime macias Ask a question I don't fully know, but I'll read it anyways. What is the story behind Gilles Deferrin running a G-Force in the Ovals in 2003 and then a Delara in the road and street courses versus Elio running a Delara full-time? Did it have to do with driving style? I don't know. The only thing I can come back to is a great story told in one of our Remembering Gilles Deferrin podcast series from former G-Force uh, leader Scott Atherton. 
talking about DeFerrin making a point to come to the G-Force factory in Brazelton, Georgia, to thank everyone and put on a lunch that he came up with on his own, had catered on his own, and you name it. So if I had to guess, probably he felt something about that G-Force on the ovals was superior to the Delara in 2003, and considering where he ended up uh, at the Indianapolis 500 that year, uh, would be hard to argue against that choice, Jaime. Um, sorry, drinking more water. Uh, went for my uh, two-lap, half-hour walk this morning and got rained on and got cold, but also realized I didn't drink enough water before I did that. Uh, Austin Taylor says, Marshall, do you ever see a day that IndyCar returns to places like Michigan, Pocono, or any other high-speed ovals? Uh, high-speed ovals, yes. Pocono, no. Um, just too many failures there promotionally. And then the last time we were there was just the saddest thing um, with Robert Wickens' crash and then a couple years before losing Justin Wilson. So I think that one's just not it. Michigan, I know. Uh, I mean, I loved racing there. Uh, some of us would. I don't know if Michigan is a thing, um, especially with Penske promoting, putting on and promoting the Detroit race. I don't know if they're wanting in-state competition for their own IndyCar event, but we need to add something. Uh, do I see another high-speed oval? Yeah. Uh, do we go back to Texas? I don't know. Love the place. Never has fans. Problem. Do we try somewhere else we haven't been before? Another one and a half miler or something big, two miler somewhere else? I sure hope so. Um, I wish I had a definitive answer. But yeah, feels like we are, are missing something with the Indy 500 as the one and only big oval and then everything else being some form of 0.875 to 1.25 mile oval. We're, we're missing that bigger second speedway hit for sure. IndyCar knows it. IndyCar would be at Texas this year if Texas were willing to be more flexible in their scheduling. But uh, that's not how it has panned out. And I do have concerns we won't go back as a result. Uh, we're ramping down. Steve Bonick, how you doing? Dear friend and Prude member Steve Bonick, uh, your amazing daughter Brenna, thank you again, Brenna, for the painting you did of our cats Rocky and Rosie. Like, it's the sweetest thing. My wife, Shabrell, just loves it. I love it too, but she's just like, that's the most amazing thing. She is incredible, and I agree. Um, says, MP, hope you're doing well, and your bride is continuing to kick ass. Uh, says, my question uh, was answered regarding hybrid starting restarting a stall car at sebring you say what's the over under and how many yellows and yellow flag laps uh, would have been saved last season if we were able to do that in 2023 um a fair amount i think just you have to remember there's a condition so with what indycar has for its new air quote hybrid system and it's a misnomer it's there's no hybrid system like i bought a hybrid system it's adding a second form of propulsion. So one type of motor with another type of motor 
that's where you get a hybrid. So again, I, I don't know. Apologies. Still, just always sticks with me. Like there's no such thing as a hybrid system. And I even say it by mistake sometimes and then punch myself in the face for being dumb. Um, with the energy recovery system that has been developed by Chevrolet and Honda, it does not use the fairly traditional energy storage system of a battery. That's what you find in the vast majority of hybrids and racing, a battery. Decent size to like big old battery um, being the thing. And with that big old battery, which we don't have, uh, you tend to be able to store a lot of energy. So even if you're deploying a lot of that electric horsepower throughout a lap, probably still have a decent amount left in the battery if you were to stall and then have that remaining battery juice fire up the car by telling the MGU to engage the motor, the input shaft, spin it up and fire it. What we have in IndyCar, it's not a battery. It's small, super compact. It's amazing. It's a super capacitor. And... Because it's small and has very limited amount of size and storage capability, it means that while it is very potent and the attributes are one of being able to deliver a bunch of power instantly, charges super fast. That's the, the main differentiator between supercapacitor and a regular just battery-based ERS unit. Um, you can charge it super quick, deploy it super quick. It just doesn't hold a giant amount of energy. So that all adds up to, uh, it all depends. If you spin and stall, or you get hit and run off track and stall, whatever it is, if you have used up most of the energy that was stored in your supercapacitor, you are not going to be able to restart the motor on your own. So again, the, the system as it's been designed, phenomenal. It's a marvel of packaging. It's just not one where you go, yep, in any scenario where you might spin or have whatever cause for the motor to stall, there'll always be ample amounts of power to fire it up. So therefore we should pretty much eliminate every stall spin and st whatever it is anything that has a car that needs to be refired by the amr safety team we should be able to eliminate pretty much all those if we had a big old battery which we don't because there's no space for it we could say that yep we'd eliminate pretty much all of them just depends here with the system we do have if there's enough charge left in it to do that um chris hoffman here we go this is uh this is certainly one that i know frustrates you mp we're a little over a month away from the season starting and there still aren't published start times for the races yet what gives i don't know chris um i should have asked indycar when i was on the phone with them today but i didn't because i'm dumb but i appreciate you accepting my failings i'd think it'd be here soon ish <laughs> stupid statement but if you look at the timing, you usually get to within about a month of the first race in a lot of series. 
before they tell you when to look out for those races to air on the good old broadcast networks of their choice. Feels like it's somewhat imminent. So don't have an answer yet, but I do believe it should be within a week because here before too long, NASCAR is about to take over almost the rest of the month with Daytona 500 stuff. So if IndyCar was looking for a window to say, hey, we're doing this thing that's kind of important for you fans and not have it totally lost by other news, we're in a pretty happy but fading window for that to happen. Uh, Patrick Sage, say a few weeks ago, Racer did a story on Andretti's Formula E team. One thing that stuck out to me were the comments about Formula E's professionalism versus IndyCar. You ask, what can IndyCar learn from F1 and Formula E to improve their image and perception? Um, I feel like I read that story, I think done by racers Dominic Wild, probably. And I love Dom. I think he does a, a smashing job. But I'm struggling to remember the finer points of this that you're referencing, Patrick, so I apologize. What can it do to improve its image and perception on the the subject of professionalism i i think that there are detail items and presentation indycar can do right i feel like mentioned this uh, not too long ago but you think about standardized victory lanes standardized post-session procedures broadcast wise where you go okay cool this looks like a major production being put on by Formula E, F1, uh, the WEC as well, where we go from place to place and it all looks like the same super high level of production and presentation to the fans. So I'm not talking about the broadcast. I'm talking about on-site, the amount of polish, everything having a bit, again, of standardization. The Victory Lane presentation at Barber Motorsports Park is going to be the same as it is at Nashville and so on. And wherever you go, it's like, okay, the pre-race ceremonies, like we don't celebrate ourselves very much or very well. We do it indie, and I know we do it every other race, and, you know, we've got the big trailer and Firehawk is out there waving and Drivers walk out one by one, get announced, and, you know, dignitaries from the event, whatever there. But again, it's kind of, you know, like, hey, we're kind of doing this over here. And I don't know if that's in front of the most fans or the most relevant, but it's kind of over here in a place <laughs> that, you know, is maybe more for broadcast for those watching uh, or the in house TV circuit than for those actually at the event. That can certainly be rethought, right? Hey, how do we have a, a more mobile stage? How do we have something that is building some energy, right? I can think of most IndyCar races outside of the Indy 500 where it's just like, okay, we're doing the thing and we're doing the little confetti and smoke stuff where in the middle of the day where it kind of doesn't pop too much, but... We're trying to build some hype, but we're talking in a loud voice and we're saying it in a really encouraging words. And yeah, hey, and your pole sitter, so and so, they walk out on the stage and you get, you get the kind of golf clap. But, you know, again, hey, like, I think the over 
the overwhelming thing that stands out here, Patrick, is this. If you delete the Indy 500 from this topic with IndyCar, because there it's done beautifully, grand, 300 plus thousand people, captive audience, love every moment of it, huge cheer, like it's a big thing. Indy 500 has its iconic victory lane. We're now doing the thing where we lift the car up to the upper deck, and I don't know if I love that so much, but anyways, um, no to the upper decker, I say. Um, Indy is a different creature. Pretty much everything works there. It's the K, are we doing our best to recreate that big pageantry self-love we think so much of ourselves and do things at such a high level at barber at saint pete at monterey at wherever where you go everywhere we go we're thinking this all the way through hey do we need to have that trailer intro whatever thing do we need to move that around at each track to where the largest population of folks in a grandstand happen to be i think so because what's the thing i want to hear and what's the thing i hope we see on tv big like yeah real celebration and love i do it (laughs) i don't care if we got to do it at laguna seca up on the corkscrew if that's wherever the most people are like hey do it i don't but f1's been going over the top a little bit like las vegas this year was like or last wow that was way too much y'all but i get it they're trying to overserve their fans give way more love to themselves and make themselves look big and important and popular and right the image that that inward image the the thing that stares back at a racing series in a mirror if it were a, a human being it's very telling in what a series thinks about itself by how it presents itself to the world sorry found another little soapbox here i apologize but i think of what imsa does and it's open grids before it's races and it floods the place with fans and they love it they all take photos of everything everyone seemingly rushes to their social media platforms and shares it selfies with cars and dinos people in dinosaur suits and whatever else but it's just like wow so on top of the pa and driver announcements and all those things like it just opens its arms to its fans and hugs them all before the race wherever they go it's a huge part of what they do and it works and has worked for a long long time look at what f1 does with all the things that i mentioned and it is massive nascar similar indycar has got work to do here its self-image that it portrays before its events is like hey we're gonna do the same old same old and meh, it's just the way we do it heard they've wanted to redo this i'm hoping we're going to hear at saint pete they're gonna introduce some new more standardized higher levels of professionalism and polish type stuff pre-race post-race you name it um i know some of the things that caught the series attention was say last year at sebring right the combined imsa and wec event obviously 
Penske running the factory Porsche team also saw this at every WEC round they attended running the factory Porsche cars, but these big, beautiful LED archways, you walk into the paddock is a standardized thing. Shows every car, the drivers, information. It's a something where you as a fan walking in that direction, it looked big. It looked ambitious and important. It spoke to the self-image of the WEC paddock. Go to this race, go to that race, eh, might have it something here you might not who knows you just kind of wander around and find the corner where indycar happens to be um boy you could do something like that that's standardized and again it costs money you got to put it in trucks and got to haul those around and pay people to drive them and pay insurance and gas and hotels for the people that put them i get all that but like hey <laughs> we just gonna keep doing things on the cheap or are we gonna step it up um, I've heard that they want to step up in some areas Tell you here to close Patrick. I am eager to get to St. Petersburg to see what awaits us. Um, we're going to close here. Charles Hall, you are back with this, I believe. Uh, and I apologize. Um, you know what? I'm going to take this one just cause it's interesting. Uh, Ed Joris, you say from a business standpoint, have your relationships with either IndyCar, the manufacturers, or some of the teams deteriorated since the Honda articles late last year? Uh, not that I know of. Um, talk with the series regularly, uh, whether it's by phone, by text, email. Um, I think all three today. Uh, not that I know of on the manufacturer side, because still like really close, uh, I think with both of them um readily engaged with both of them um same with the teams seen or spoken to i think how many team owners at least seven of the ten in the last month um and yeah uh i mean there's one team owner who also owns the series who uh hasn't cared for me much for more than a year not it didn't start with the honda articles um but i mean again whatever i don't really i don't do this to be liked by team owners but not that i know of ed um based on the amount of things the vast majority of them continue to call and ask about on background or tell me on background um i can't really note a difference uh so i don't think so that could change tomorrow but yeah i'll think so um you also ask if the classic turbo push to pass um, will be tied together with the upcoming uh, electronic push to pass. No, not tied together, independently activated. Brian Cohn, you're asking if we should anticipate any women competing in this year's Indy 500 as a driver. I am not aware of that uh, being a thing unless the rumored ongoing but i keep hearing various things and she doesn't want to answer the phone to talk about it i keep hearing beth peretta is trying to find um a home for the 500 for her and simona de silvestro 
so yeah, uh, I would love for that to happen. Um, but yeah, uh, I don't know if that is going to happen. Um, our pal unpaid intern, amazing to meet you. Super sweet kid, uh, from the islands, uh, met him at Daytona asking Carlos Munoz is one of my favorite drivers to watch around Indianapolis. I reckon he still has one of the best average finishes in the new 500 to this day. Any word of he'll return to racing? Not that I know of. So quick, stupid, funny story. I, what did I do? I was texting another friend named Carlos and hadn't paid close enough attention to the fact that I chose Carlos Munoz and I hadn't spoken to Carlos in years. Cause again, it's been years since he competed in IndyCar, but, uh, unbeknownst to me, I get this response, I think, which was kind of like a, hi Marshall. Um, I don't know how to answer your question. And I look back and I'm like, what do you mean? You don't know how to answer your question. And I'm like, Oh crap. <laughs> Carlos Munoz, buddy. I'm sorry. Total idiot. Um, and then I texted my real other friend, Carlos, um, and we were good as it played out. Parents bankrolled his IndyCar career phenomenal of them but they also reached a point to where they said and felt like reached the end of that ride and so as i recall because this would have been what four or five years ago uh went something along the lines of we could either spend the remaining amount we're willing to put forth to have you compete in maybe a partial indycar season no longer a full season, or we could put that money in some form of trust or account, and you could use that to live a life and develop the next chapter in your life outside of IndyCar. And assuming I'm remembering all of that correctly, I believe it was the latter option that he took. But yeah, I mean, if someone was looking for a Indy 500 ringer um oh boy oh boy um a lot of questions here that haven't gotten to and you know i feel like at my quote one hour length i think kind of need to shut it down charles hall you sent in a good one i feel like i might have asked you to send this one in uh again in the past and i'm gonna do it again uh sorry uh this is the end of the episode of what's up with that and uh lindsey buckingham sorry brother you're you're not not getting on this episode but uh send it in again maybe uh maybe our guy jerry can move it towards the front of next week's episode there'll be more to talk about next week's episode by the way plenty to talk about but uh we'll try and get to this just a fun one but uh it deserves better than me uh giving it not enough time here at the end of the show all right thank you again for y'all thanks again to our friends at the justice brothers faf technologies in torontomotorsports.com and i will look forward to speaking to you very soon